Welcome to the Berkhamsted Spotlight, Berkhamsted School's podcast channel. Join our weekly guests from inside the classroom to behind the scenes of our day-to-day activities through to life beyond Berkhamsted School. Find out what it's really like to be part of our remarkable community. Remarkable community indeed. In this episode of the Berkhamsted Spotlight, we're talking to Vice Principal Andy Ford. Amongst other things, we're going to find out more about the development of children through Berkhamsted School. We'll find out about BLP, that's Building Learning Power, and more about metacognition and learning how to learn. But we're also going to hear Andy's remarkable moment and what he likes to listen to when he's in the car or on his own. So let's get into this episode and speak to Andy Ford right now. Andy, thank you for being here and welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, um, thank you for having me on as well. Um, it's been a busy day, um, but it's great to be uh, meeting with you to talk about Berkhamsted School. Well, we're going to be talking about academic performance at Berkhamsted. But before we do that, something we always like to ask. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do at the school and how long you've been doing it for? So I'm the vice principal at Berkhamsted and I've been doing this role for about 18 months um, and I was previously an academic deputy uh, head uh, within the school before that. And before that, I was a head of department within the school. So I've, I've, uh, I've come up through the, the ranks at Berkhamsted. Um, I, I taught at another local independent school uh, before that as well. Um, so uh, I've been here for about seven years and, okay. uh, and, I've, uh, and I've been in education since 2006. And your own education, where did you go to school? I went to a school called Kings Ely in Cambridgeshire, where I was a chorister as well um, at the cathedral. And mm-hmm. uh, spent many happy years there, both in the the, the school uh, Kings, but also uh, in and around the cathedral as well. And uh, and then I went to to Durham after that to to university where I studied theology. Um, I also had a year out and abroad in Uppsala in Sweden as well, an Erasmus exchange, which was which was a really interesting experience as well. Okay. Uh, and then I completed my PGC at Durham before uh, moving back to the southeast to to start my career in teaching. And now you're involved in the development of children in the school. So tell us something about how children develop and learn through the different year groups in the school. Yeah, so one, one of the privileges of working at Berkhamsted is that we're an all-through school, uh, from you know the, the, our, our stepping stones and our nursery uh, up, up at Haresfoot, uh, where the pupils are obviously you know, absolutely tiny, mm-hmm. um, from six months in the nursery, but obviously uh, sort of in, in, pre, in our preschool, and then all the way up to 18 with, with our sixth form. Um, and one of the things, obviously, that when I became a teacher, I was uh, obviously majorly interested in the senior years mm-hmm. um, and uh, and obviously have, have spent most of my time focusing on that. But in the last two years, it's been, I say, a privilege to start thinking more about the whole pupil journey um, and be- becoming a, a member of the school's executive team has meant that I've had to think more widely than just the senior school um, education sort of programme. Um, so, you know, I, I think one of the things I'm really proud of with Berkhamsted is the journey of the pupil through the through the school. We, you know, we have a number of different pupils join us at different stages uh, in, in their education uh, and a number of different entry points. But hopefully we're, we're well equipped to be a very big school that, that looks after the needs of all of the pupils at those different stages. But we've also got the advantage of being actually quite a small school in that sense as well because each school is independent of itself that's why we call it a school's group Um, so that has big advantages you know it means that our girls school for example which has around 400 girls uh, also has a a, a theatre that seats them all very easily within it Uh, they've got access to a swimming pool and to an astroturf that a 400 girl senior school wouldn't have access to so it's a real advantage 
plus also the sort of the experience of all of those different members of staff that make up the school's group. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's a really great school to work at. And then when the children are learning in those different year groups, what are the different ways that children learn at different ages, at different stages of their of their growing up? Sure. So I think one of the the crucial thing is that you know as as when they're younger, obviously mm-hmm. uh, most pupils learn more through active play, and there's a there's a whole EYFS mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. early years foundation framework uh, for for pupils, um, and they they learn a lot through their interactions and through their, their personal, their social, and their emotional development is is focused on at that stage. Uh, and then as they grow and as they develop, I've got a, an eight-year-old son who goes to school here um, and, and he's in year three and he's just beginning to sort of have more structured lessons um, and, uh, and kind of, you know, beginning to, uh, to have, have more subjectivity and, uh, to mm-hmm. his lessons. So he loves having uh, history and geography and science, particularly science in, in, in the lab at the prep school is fantastic. So you're bringing that maturity to it. But he also loves the fact that he can go and play on the adventure playground as well. And, and do all the different sports that he gets to do uh, as part of his, his schooling in the prep school. And then as the pupils go through, obviously we're able to then create a, a more traditional curriculum in the senior school um, and then and then obviously become more specialist as well when they get through to A-level where they're, where they're choosing only uh, only three A-level subjects to sort of to follow through with to that to that highest level. And what would you say is the most important age for development? Oh, that's a really that's a really <laughs> tricky question. Uh, before I was a, a dad, and before I was a um, before I was a, a member of the uh, in my current role as in the exec, I'd have probably have said all oh, the senior school because that was mm-hmm. the age group I was uh, associated with, mm. uh, and and clearly that is a very important stage um, because you know we, you've, we've 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 got a public exam system in this country. We need to get uh, pupils. To, to do well in their exams, obviously, and that that is an important part of education we can't look past. Mm. And we, we of course, we, you know, we, we want to be an exams plus school. We want to be able to also work, you know, with with families to develop um, resilience and resourcefulness and the characteristics and the character that people are going to need in order to be successful when they leave us. But those, of course, also develop much younger too, as well. And and I suppose you could you could make a case, and I can definitely see much more now that pupils uh, who are in our prep school and our pre-prep are also the ones who, who are much more malleable and they their, mm. their ideas can change much more and they're much more influential than the, the hardened teenagers that I, that mm. I ended up, uh, you know, um, sort of standing in front of every day where <laughs> it didn't matter how hard I argued about my passions or my, my subject, which is religious studies originally, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, I couldn't change their minds anymore. So I think every every phase is important, mm. um, and I and I think they all hold uh, an importance in the in the development of a, of a young person. Um, you, you never know in education when that moment is going to be the thing that really you know, lights a spark uh, under somebody to to go and do that particular thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and I think that's that's so so important that that could happen at any any moment. So the environment has to be inspiration it has to be nurturing it has to be supportive mm-hmm. it has to encourage those those children to, to try things and to fail and to, to build themselves up and to um, to carry on going again and, and that's important at any any stage so I know I haven't answered your question uh, <laughs> and, and I'm not going to um, because it's because it, it's too too hard a question to say that any one stage is the most important I think that answer is a good answer Andy uh, now BLP building learning power. Tell me what this is and what it's all about. 
Okay, so about um, sort of about about seven years ago now, the school uh, decided was looking at the way that it constructed its curriculum and thinking very carefully about what learning really should be. And we were like many schools at the time. We 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 had excellent subject teachers. We're an independent school, so we're able to choose um, the right qualifications for our students to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, like many independent schools, we've got some fantastic individualistic teachers who are passionate about their subjects and mm-hmm. we had all of those things but what we perhaps lacked was a kind of you know a, a core and a, a shared educational philosophy mm-hmm. to to wrap all of our thinking up in so that we had the same vision for education going from all the way through the school that's something which we could all understand we were also very aware at that time as well that you know that that there was a a, a, a mind uh, sh- shift change taking place in the world of work, which was you know moving away from what you knew as being important mm-hmm. more to your abilities and your skills. A sort of focus on some people call it soft skills, mm. um, but but the the ability to be uh, adaptable and resourceful uh, in the workplace. Um, and and that that change has only continued in the last um, seven years. You know the, the the growth of the algorithm, the fact that actually many uh, jobs are now able to be done from abroad for for, for actually for less money mm-hmm. um, it, for for businesses. The outsourcing of uh, of, of th- those sort of sectors to to other countries mm. means that we have to we we can't rely upon uh, just giving pupils knowledge, just getting a great set of results is not going to be enough to make you successful in life. So we looked around at various different educational philosophies and, and thought about what we wanted to do. And we, we came across an idea called Building Learning Power, or BLP as we, as we call it. And uh, we began to work with uh, uh, an organisation called the, the, the Learning Organisation, the TLO, uh, about how we might implement it in, in our school. At its heart, BLP is, is about developing habits and dispositions within students um, that helped them to understand not just what they're learning, but how they went about learning it so that they can replicate that for themselves when they're not being guided by a teacher, mm-hmm. uh, so that they become global citizens who are able to be re- reflective and, and reactive and, and, and dynamic and think for themselves. So the way, the way that we do that is we have, have, have looked at, uh, and BLP basically thinks what what are the constituent elements of learning and we broke that down at our school into 10 10 uh, dispositions and habits that we felt uh, that they were they they were really important and they go they go along the lines of being cognitive skills emotional skills social skills and strategic skills okay those those are the areas of development and then we chose 10 dispositions which are things like perseverance exploration planning questioning reviewing collaborating those kinds of uh, those kind of skills, which regardless of the subject content that's being taught, are things that people need to develop. And the crucial thing is that whilst all schools do those things, kids will learn to collaborate when they are in school. Hmm. People will learn how to listen to each other, but we believe they won't do it as quickly and as effectively unless you spend time intentionally and deliberately honing those skills and spending time. Uh, understanding how they work so we have uh, something in in the classroom which is called dual focused teaching which is where you you know not every lesson by any stretch of the imagination but from time to time the teacher might say right we've we've just done a unit of of study on the battle of Agincourt for example in in history 
Mm-hmm. Now, now we're going to to work on a piece of work which is all about noticing uh, the details in this primary source. What does it mean to notice? What do we? What kind of things do we have to? And there might be a discussion about the, you know sort of around that habit, that that bit of learning, and then they'll go forward with it. But then perhaps review at the end about how well they noticed and what they didn't pick up. And they might use different different sort of tools in the lessons in order to be able to to sort of to, to pick up on noticing as a particularly distinct skill. So that, that's kind of one example of what, what, we, what we mean by it. And the great thing is it means that everybody understands there's a shared language of learning at Berkhamsted as a result. Mm. When you go from a history lesson talking about noticing there to the rugby pitch or into the orchestra or when you go on a DV expedition and somebody uses the term noticing, then clearly you can then draw upon those different experiences to further develop that skill now it's quite it's crucial you know the world doesn't work around 10 habits so over the course of a student's journey through the school we then make that more subtle and more nuanced Hmm. so that by the time they're in the sixth we're not really using those 10 dispositions anymore Um, instead we're, we're using all of the different synonyms that would be be used for those those dispositions but we're still developing those ideas. We, we tend to call it metacognition in the sixth form, which is the sort of the, the funky educational term for it, uh, which is basically, you know, learning how to learn, being above your cognition. So, so you can understand how you go about being successful in, in your learning, in whatever sphere that is. Metacognition, that's an interesting word, not one that I expected to hear today. Tell me a little bit more about what that is and how that affects children at Berkhamsted. Yeah, so metacognition it, it comes from the the Greek meta to be above and, or beyond, um, and uh, cognition to think. So it's getting students to go beyond their thinking. So, for example, let's take a take a maths lesson. Um, you know, it, it's not it's not that hard. Respect to maths teachers across the country uh, <laughs> who are doing doing teaching maths. <laughs> I'm sure they're not offended. <laughs> no, I hope I hope not. Uh, it's not that hard to get a pupil to understand uh, a, a tiny part of a process and to then repeat it again and again. You know, we can all learn. You know, by things by rote. But the skill is, uh, and this is the hard thing that students learn throughout their time in school, is when to deploy certain types of learning to be effective. So when is it right to deploy this revision technique? When is it right to, um, you know, to, to be able to, you know, to move forward in a task? How might I tackle that? Where have I seen this kind of problem before? Mm. And that's metacognitive thinking. It's uh, that process we all do automatically to some extent. So it, it's a process of evaluating uh, and planning and monitoring our learning all the way through. Mm. So if I, if I give you a, a real world example, um, on my journey to, to work, uh, on my first day I ever worked here, I, you know, I, I looked at a map. I planned my journey ahead. Uh, I decided I was going to leave at 7.30 to, in order to get here by 8 o'clock, that kind, that kind of thing. Hmm. I then did that journey. And on the way, I realised that there were loads of really um, silly roadworks on the way to work, etc. Hmm. I was monitoring my progress. I was panicking that I was going to be late. I arrived a bit late uh, to my first day at work. Uh, and I decided, I evaluated that, and I decided I'm not going to have that happen again tomorrow. I'll get up 10 minutes earlier, I'll go by a different route, and the next day it gets better. And we constantly do that, don't we, in life? Hmm. And in some ways, that's what we're talking about, uh, that, take that analogy to, to learning. That's what we're trying to inculcate in students, that they've got to be reflective about the way that they go about learning. Because on the first day in a new job, uh, when they go out into the big bad world, at university... 
uh, if they choose to go there, they're not going to be told what to do in the same way they are at school. They've got to learn to begin to evaluate that for themselves. And when they inevitably fail, as they as they always will do at some point, and actually often that's a problem for, for, for really high achieving students, as, and, and all of our students are, uh, are actually very highly achieving compared to the national average, sometimes the first time that they fail will be when they're not at school you know, ac- academically, let's say. It might be that, that, that time. And they won't be the pastoral care that we have, we're privileged to have at Berkhamsted around them. Hmm. So they've got to have been taught resourcefulness and resilience through, that, through their schooling in order to not have that ruin their next experience. So we deliberately want to create conditions whereby it's hard, whereby they do make mistakes. We want them to, to, to have those mini failures whilst they're at school so that they go off into the world and are able to cope much better as a result mini roadworks almost through their lives that kind of thing absolutely yeah yeah to carry on my to carry on my analogy yeah <laughs> okay so andy we've learned something about the academic side of life at berkhamsted we've learned about blp i'd like to know a little bit more about andy ford though so tell me one thing you've changed your mind about in the last two years well interesting uh how how controversial do you want me to be um <laughs> i think um uh cer- certainly uh, i i've changed my mind about lots of things during the the, the covid pandemic mm. um i i wouldn't say that i was ever I, i've always been quite a quite a, a fond adopter of technology but if you told me two years ago uh, that we would be teaching through um video conferencing through microsoft teams and uh, and students would be operating in their bedrooms and teachers would be at home. Mm. I, I wouldn't have believed uh, that we could do that. Yeah. And the, the, the speed of change that, that has gone on there has been uh, inspirational to see. I, I'm very proud of the way that we responded to the pandemic here at Berkhamsted. We were very, very quick. There was no disruption to learning at all in terms mm. of lessons. Uh, we were on that first day uh, back in, in March 2020, we were... Uh, online the very next morning on that Monday after a weekend off um, and the, a, a normal timetable resumed and, and learning continued. Um, so I think that the, the place of technology in the classroom is an interesting area where I've been quite, I, I've, I was perhaps sceptical about the limitations of how far it could go. But now I think it's shown us how how far we could go. I think it's really important as we come, as we, now, now we're back in school again, that we use technology wisely and we we use it in a measured way, and it's not the it's not a silver bullet. Doesn't solve all all uh, educational problems by any stretch of the imagination. Using the tool for the job is the most important thing to do. Uh, but that's a good example of of one thing I think I, where I've had my mind changed about it uh, mm. in terms of the, the last couple of years. A slightly more controversial one uh, <laughs> might be uh, might be about examinations. Okay, um, examinations are, are interesting. That they've they're they're particularly the place of GCSEs. Mm. Um, I suppose like, like most teachers, uh, I always accepted, uh, I've always accepted the orthodoxy of education to 16, at which point you have your GCSEs and then, then you, that they help you select your A-levels. Mm. Um, I, I think there, there is a growing case for, uh, for an alternative assessment system and, and perhaps looking at an alternative to GCSEs. Uh, now I, I don't have an answer as to what that alternative assessment system should be, and it might be the case that when you look at all those options, you come back to the fact that a little bit like Winston Churchill said of democracy, exams are the best worst option that we have <laughs> um, for for settling how pupils have done at school. 
Um, but but I, I I do think we've we've got such an opportunity at the moment when the exam system has been so disrupted over the last uh, the last two two summers to really look again at qualifications and think to ourselves is this the right way to to decide and to decipher how a pupil has spent their time at school mm-hmm. is it fair to put them in in, in a very a relatively alien environment and assess them under time conditions and is it the right way to really define their time at school? Now, Berkham said, I don't think that is how pupils define their time at school. I'll just be clear about that. I think they'll look back at their time at school and think about so much more than just those exams. But we can't get away from the fact that those pieces of paper are often nominally important for opening the door for future employment. We've got a pledge that we're going to provide, hopefully provide students with the the opportunity to get the exams they need, but also the skills and the habits and the attributes uh, to, to to get their next their next job, their next promotion, hmm. is what we kind of you know we, we talk about. We really want to be developing remarkable people in that in that sense. But I but I do think that within the last two years, I think our I think the the state of the English exam system is something which I think we could do with with reviewing. Okay, let me take you out of the school completely for a moment and pop you back into your car. But let's imagine that you're on a long car journey. And you're on your own. What are you singing in the car right now? <laughs> um, it's a pretty eclectic mix of music, actually. Uh, okay. I'm not uh, uh, so uh, I'm not I'm I'm not kind of one of those people who has a particular set of things that I'm you know, a type of music that I particularly love. Mm-hmm. Um, choral music, like I said uh, at the beginning, uh, my my background is, is important to me. Um, mm-hmm. So I do I do uh, I do enjoy choral music a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm quite a well being a, being a child of the of the of the 90s really uh, I'm I'm quite a fan of groups like Jamiroquai that kind of acid jazz kind of kind of music mm-hmm. uh, I particularly and, and I've, I've become more of a fan over the last couple of years of the music that my father really likes things like um, you know jazz musicians like Herbie Hancock and uh, and, oh, yeah. uh, and Miles Davis and and and, uh, and th- those kind of, those kinds of uh, people. Mm. And I probably appreciate them a lot more now for for what they are than I did when when he was trying to sell them to me as an eighteen year old. Um, <laughs> when I didn't really want to listen to them, no, I, I'd probably be yeah, I could be listening to any of those things. I think there's a good mix in there. I have to say that I'd probably be more likely to be listening to um, listening to podcasts actually now than I would be to listening to music actually on a, on a long journey. Um, and again, there's no uh, there's no sort of particular type of podcast I particularly like. But, uh, you know, um, I love my rugby union and uh, so sort of rugby union stuff's uh, off and on in the car uh, mm-hmm. and um, and also um, some stuff about about school, perhaps. Um, but also I'm quite a fan of the Archers on a, on Radio 4 as well. So um, that's my bit of um, soap escapism if I'm on a long journey as well. <laughs> we can allow that. That's totally good. And then lastly, to bring you back into the school, what has been your remarkable moment at Berkhamstead? Oh, gosh. That's a great question. I mean, there there have been a lot. Um, the visit of Her Majesty the Queen uh, for our 475th anniversary was uh, was in many ways a very remarkable moment. Uh, unfortunately, I was very busy on that day helping to organise it, but also um, we had, uh, unfortunately, just timed with a GCC exam, so I didn't get to spend as much time as I would have liked around the quad when she visited. Um, but but the the sense of community and enjoyment and excitement from the whole school being in in, in the quad was was absolutely amazing other remarkable moments i i think um 
any time we have students performing, whether that's music or, or drama, particularly actually things like um, like house drama that, mm-hmm. that, that and house music events, those are always really wow moments. Um, but the productions we've had here over the last years as well have just been fantastic, whether that's very small uh, group performances that are going perhaps off to the Edinburgh Fringe for drama uh, or, or even big productions um, like uh, Les Mis a few years ago and We Will Rock You and those sort of things yeah, as well. They, they, they've been fantastic as well. So those are definitely wow moments. I have to say, actually, a recent wow moment, which was uh, was uh, was phenomenal, was the end-of-term chapel service that we had just before Christmas, which was all filmed uh, in advance, as it sort of had to be, because it had to be played to every single classroom around the school, because we're, mm. you know, obviously we were still under lockdown conditions. It involved a huge number of different people across the school um, recording readings, and uh, and uh, and there were some performance pieces by the drama department. There was some fantastic music uh, that was done by the music department, uh, but it just all came together so so well. Um, and it was accompanied by some beautiful images as well, and and some great great film work done by the by the production team, and um, and it was yeah it was a real wow moment, uh, and it really made you very very proud to be part of such a wonderful school, but also kind of you know that that combined with that spiritual message that there was obviously of the of that of that the the Christmas story and and the elements that were looked at as well. Within it that sounds too. beautiful. It really does. Yeah. We need to bring this to a close in a moment. But for anyone who's heard anything and might have a follow up question about anything you've said, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Uh, so they can they can get in touch with me through the school just by uh, by sending an email to the the inquiries at berkhamsted.com email address. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter as uh, as um, at uh, awg ford as well. Um, I'm very happy to be contacted through that as well. It's uh, it's not a school account, it's my own personal account, but um, people are welcome to message me through that as well or, or tweet me. But yeah, so either of those ways. Well, look, Andy, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been great talking to you. It's been great hearing you open up about life within the school. Thank you for your time. No problem at all. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And that was Andy Ford, Vice Principal of Berkhamsted. Thank you, Andy, for coming on to this episode of the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Now, you can contact Andy directly on Twitter. That's AWG Ford. Or if you have any questions about anything you've heard in this episode, then please do feel free to email inquiries at berkhamsted.com. And also, don't forget that if you're not yet following this podcast channel, then now is the time to do so. Because then, when the next episode comes out, you'll just get a small notification to let you know that it's there. And that means you won't miss it. But that's for the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.